So I'll read the passage uh, in a second. <clears throat> Let me just tell you about an email I had recently. Actually, it was from my, my aunt. And my aunt told me that she's got some friends from Dublin who are moving to Leeds soon. And she wanted me to help uh, give them a warm welcome, uh, which I'm happy to do. They're, uh, they're church goes, so that's not the reason I'm happy to give them a warm welcome. I welcome anybody. But uh, I think she wants to, to connect them to a church. So very happy to meet with them. And I want you to imagine, I don't know when they're coming in a few months' time, but I'd get them over for coffee. And they say, oh, so you go to Christchurch, do you? I say, yes, hoping they'll come. Tell us what's good about Christchurch. And tell us what are the strengths of Christchurch. Is it a healthy church? Now imagine someone asks you that question. What's good about Christchurch? Is it a healthy church? What makes it a healthy church? What, what answer might you give to that question? Let me make it slightly more uh, abstract into churches in, in general, but still a specific situation. I want you to imagine, uh, maybe towards the end of the year, one of, one of our students, we have many students here, and many of them after their uh, one year or three years with us will uh, graduate, go and earn loads of money down in London. And they'll say to us, uh, what should I look for in a healthy church? They come up to you and say, I know there are loads of churches in London, loads of places I could live. What do you think I should be looking for? How would you answer that student? And my suspicion is that one of the first things that at least 50% of us would say, and we might just leave it at this, we might say, what you need to look for in a healthy church is a Bible teaching church. That's what you need to look for. And as we read James this morning, we're going to see that he says something different. With that in mind, let's, let's read uh, James uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and I'll go through to 2, verse 13. know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue... But deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, did you see what James thinks is a healthy church? Don't worry if you missed it. We're going to go through it. First, I just want to recap where we've got to in James. A new series in James we started last week. We'll be going through it over the next uh, couple of months. And what we saw is that James is writing uh, to a group of Christians, and their main problem is that they are double-minded. And it's a theme that comes up again and again in the letter. Twice in the letter, he explicitly says they're double-minded. Other times, he says the opposite. He says he wants them uh, to be whole. And now they are Christians, but they've got split loyalties. They love, they love God, but they also love the world. They love eternity, but they also love the here and now. And in fact, the here and now that is playing uh, largely in their hearts and minds. And James is trying to get their eyes off the world and onto God, onto God and to see his goodness, to see their generous God, the God who gives all good gifts. He's the one we should be looking at at all times. We should be wholeheartedly looking to him and loving him and living in response to him. And that was really the main message of last week. It was get God right by seeing his goodness. There was so much in chapter one about the goodness of God. In fact, James, as a letter as a whole, are familiar with it. It's a letter that can feel quite heavy because there's a lot of rebuke in it. But there are so many phrases dotted throughout about God's goodness and his kindness and his mercy. Last week then, to see God's goodness, but this week is quite different. And this week he moves on from God's goodness. As long as response to that, it's sort of a therefore do what God says. So we've gone from beholding God's goodness to responding to him and rightly. And really the, the key verse that I want us to look at this morning, or the verse that really sums up uh, everything uh, that we're saying this morning, is 1 verse 22. He says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's really the main point of my sermon from that verse. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We're going to look at the whole passage, but that's the thing to have in mind. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, uh, we can see, uh, can't we already, that what we might have as a healthy church, certainly with the, the answer I gave to you, you want, you want a good Bible teaching church. James, James is not talking about Bible teaching, is he? He's talking about Bible doing it's quite different he wants a church that's going to put the word into practice and i want us to see that in more detail now so let's start with um the first three verses verse 19 to 21 and what james is saying here is um hear the word that saves you hear the word uh, that saves you and you see that in verse 19 can't you he says let every person be quick to hear and verse 21, receive with meekness or humility the implanted words. So he wants us to hear well. 
And he wants to do this because God's word is so good. He's not trying to oblige us to do something. He's saying receive this wonderful thing. Hear God's words. In fact, again, we see that. Uh, the, the last verse in uh, last week's passage, 1 verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's word gives us birth. It gives us life. It's a good word. Again, we see the goodness of his word in verse 21, the imparted word, which is able to save your souls. And, and do you remember, it's God's soul uh, sorry, it's our soul that God is interested in. We talked about this phrase, double-minded. It really means double-souled. It's the same word. And now he's saying you want a healthy soul, a single soul, a soul that's wholeheartedly uh, devoted to God. What's going to do that? Uh, God's word as it's planted in you. And he goes on to say, hear God's word, receive God's word, because it is going to save you from your frustrated condition when you're always in two minds, where you've got a foot in two camps. Now, he, he goes on verse 19 uh, to 20, and on their own, they're just great verses. They're, they're great life advice. So he's saying, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and be slow to be angry. In fact, I was a church intern many years ago, and I witnessed this um, marriage course that the vicar used to do uh, with people getting married and he used three three verses as half of the whole course so one evening he spent on being quick to hear one evening he spent on being slow to speak and one evening he spent on being slow uh, to be, be angry and it was a great marriage course it really was and you might think well what are the principles that are going on there well it's james just taking really our old testament wisdom so this is proverbs uh, verse uh, proverbs 17 verse 27 this is what um the wise man says there whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding can you see restraint of words all spirit they go together and the opposite is true isn't it when we're always talkative we're like no it's got to be my way you need to hear what i've got to say because i'm right we get terribly frustrated don't we when people have the same point of view don't have the same point of view of us and we talk and we talk and we talk and we get angry because people don't see that things the way we do and it's when we're quick to hear uh, that is when we have a cool spirit and that's uh, what will give us um, that—that's what will give us the coolness, the quietness uh, that delights God. And children, do you ever wonder why we have uh, two ears and one mouth? Two ears and one mouth. It's because hearing is more important than speaking, isn't it? Maybe that's the reason we have two ears and one mouth. It's certainly a good picture for it, isn't it? Now, adults. Is this good advice for marriage? It certainly is. If you're married, it is great advice to be uh, quick to hear and slow to speak and therefore slow to get angry. But it's not actually a verse about marriage. It's about all of life. And it starts with the word of God. It starts with this hearing that James is talking about. It's not really just hearing each other. A good thing that is to do. But it's about hearing the word of God, the good word of God uh, that saves you. So, uh, hear the word that saves you. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a second. Uh, I thought you said the most important verse is this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, uh, which we see in the next verse. And if you're thinking, hang on, that's a really good question. So, we need to understand what's the relationship between hearing and doing. Because James is telling us we need to hear, hear properly, hear rightly and the right way. And so there's not so much a contrast here between hearing 
and not hearing, it's more a contrast between hearing badly and hearing properly. That's why he's saying he's describing the hearing as quick hearing, as attentive hearing. There's a hearing with meekness, a hearing to understand, realizing that someone else, in this case, the Lord, has things that you need to listen to, uh, words that will benefit you. So he's going to go on and he's going to say, look, do, don't just hear the word, but do the word uh, that saves you. That's the right sort of hearing. Now, uh, verse 25, James is going to go on uh, to show us um, that he, he's going to commend the person who uh, is no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So you can see what we've got going on. It's, it's the hearing, but it's the right sort of hearing. It's the hearing that goes on to do. And uh, we've got Nike, the, the Nike logo, don't we? Just do it. Just do it. That, that's sort of what James is saying here. It's not just what he's saying here, but that is the real emphasis. Do it. Do the words. And the big picture, I think what James is saying is this, that hearing, the right sort of hearing and doing uh, go together. And we know this from ordinary life, don't we? I might say to uh, my children, uh, children, if you're not by the door in 30 seconds, there'll be trouble. <laughs> I might say it. I, I say, if you're not, not at the front door by 30 seconds, there'll be trouble. Do you hear me? I, I they, why am I saying, do you hear me? Because I'm saying, if you hear me properly, you will respond, won't you? Proper hearing requires a response. So there's a sense in which James is just continuing down the hearing properly line again. And what James does is he illustrates his point uh, here in verse 23 and 24 by a person who looks at themselves in a mirror, then doesn't do anything about what he or she sees. So again, children, I want you to imagine uh, that you've had pancakes for breakfast. Sometimes we have a special Sunday uh, in our household where we have pancakes for breakfast and you cover it uh, with Nutella or Natoka, as Audi shoppers know well. And uh, your mum and dad say to you, uh, you need to go and look in the mirror. You need to go and look into the mirror. And so you do. And there is Nutella all over your face, particularly on your mouth. It's got, you know, sort of hands, cheeks, even how did it get into your, um, how did it get into your eyebrows? You don't know, but it is everywhere. And why have they told you to look in the mirror? They've told you to look in the mirror so that you wash your face. Well, James is saying, this is what the word of God is like. As you look into it, you're meant to respond. As you hear it, you're meant to do something about it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. These are exactly the same words of the, words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the two people who built their houses, one on sand and one on rocks? The difference was not that one heard and one didn't. The difference was that one heard and responded and the other just heard. And James is saying the same thing. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. To hear the word of God and not to respond would be like walking down around for the rest of the day in Leeds with your Nutella all over your face. Ridiculous when you looked in the mirror. So hearing and doing go together. They're inseparable. Now here James changes his terminology slightly. So he starts off in the early verse of 22, 23, talking about the word of God. But then he changes terminology, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the point is God's word is good. It gives us freedom. It helps us how to live. So the law of freedom for a whale, imagine a whale, a law of freedom for the whale would be this, stay in the water. Uh, when a whale gets washed up on a beach, it doesn't say, I'm free from the water. I'm free as it gets crushed by his own weight. 
are not able to breathe. Now the whale, when it is free, is swimming in the sea. What the whale was meant to do, to swim in the sea. And in a similar way, our freedom is found in the word of God as we live it out. To, to ignore God's word is not freedom. That's what society would tell us. Break free from the word of God. Uh, but our Father in heaven tells you, no, my word is freedom. It will show you how to live. It will save us from yourself. And that's why out of love, God says, do the word that saves your souls. Do the word that will keep you whole. It's what will keep you as a single-minded Christian. One that isn't being daily tossed about uh, by the waves. Now, preachers often talk about um, application in sermons. Uh, so you might say, oh, how did you apply your sermon today? Or you might ask of some, what was the application? And here, the application is application. The application is application. James is holding up before us uh, two things. The importance of application and the goodness of application. Because there's a real danger that we come to church Sunday by Sunday and we go away just better informed. And we will be better informed. We really will be. Because God's word is the best information you could ever come across. But the point of God's word is not to end at information. God's word is for transformation. And the way of transformation is in verse 25, persevering in doing what the word of God says. And it's in that persevering that leads to blessing. It's in freedom, in God's good word. Now, at the end of uh, this first section, 26 uh, to 27, it's sort of something of a transition between the first chapter of James and going on to sort of the outworking of everything that he's been saying so far. And what James is going to say now is, let me show you what a healthy church looks like. Let me show you what a healthy church looks like. Or or just specifically in his words, he says this, let me show you what religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father looks like. And he gives three marks of healthy religion. Now, again, if you ask me again, what are three marks of healthy religion? Done sort of a healthy church, you know, a Bible teaching church. Three marks of healthy religion, a person who's putting their religion to practice. I might have said, oh, listening to good preaching, quiet times, and being part of a good Bible study group. That is what healthy religion is. But again, this is not where James goes at all. Now, I think you can, it's fair to say, James assumes the word of God. He assumes it. I mean, that's what he's talking about. That's why I've got to be good hearers. But that's not the end. That's just like a middle link in it all. There's a, there's a destination we're heading to. And it's not finishing with hearing and understanding. It's hearing uh, with responding. He ent- identifies three other barriers. This is what he identifies in verses 26 and verse 27. He identifies controlled speech. Or he, he calls it a bridled tongue. Uh, secondly, looking after the vulnerable. Here we've got orphans and widows. And uh, thirdly, being different from the culture around us. And really, that's what we see in chapter two and chapter three and chapter four and five in a slightly different order. But he's going to go into those things in a lot of detail. And the rest of our uh, time this morning, we're just going to look briefly at what he says about looking after uh, the needy. We'll also continue to this next week as well. Let's just recap so far. James is saying, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he's saying we need to hear the word that saves us. 
and he's saying we need to do the word uh, that saves us. But our last uh, remaining verses, I just want to think about this. James said, now love the needy whom God has chosen. Love the needy whom God has chosen. Now, verse 1 to 7, James gives an example of what this sort of whole single-minded religion looks like. And interestingly, it's all about the church's welcome. Now, I, uh, Anna was on welcome team this morning. I said, no pressure. It's all about welcome this morning. We're not talking about the welcome team here. We're talking about how all of us think about how people coming uh, into our community. And as he starts to say how we should welcome, the first thing he actually does is, is fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ again. So do you see that in verse one? He says, my brothers, show no, parti- uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Oh, what a reminder of what it means to be a Christian. It's someone who trusts in the Lord of glory. And it's easy to hear everything James is saying, saying, I've got to trust in my doing. I've got to trust in my hearing. No, we're people who trust in the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory, whose glory is seen most clearly at the cross, who gave everything for us. The Lord Jesus, there was nothing that he demanded from us. He gave us everything because we gave us. We gave him nothing. He gave us his blood. What a saviour you believe in if you're a Christian. A Lord who gives, gives, gives. And he gives to you because you could give nothing yourself. So he sets before them their glorious Lord. But he also tells them they're being uh, double-minded. They're being partial in their welcome. And because at the same time of worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and, and they do love him, they do love him, they're genuine Christians, uh, they don't love others. Did you see that? He goes on, he concludes in his story at verse 6. We'll look at this anecdote, but he includes at verse 6, says, but you have dishonoured the poor man. So you have faith in the Lord of glory, but you've dishonoured the poor man. You're divided. You are uh, inconsistent. And and what is this story he tells us? Well, he's basically, you've been giving a good welcome to the rich, a rich welcome to the rich, you could say, and a poor welcome to the poor. Children, I want you to imagine that two children uh, come into church and you see them both. And the first child comes in and he's got the coolest clothes. And he might be wearing Harry Potter cloak or something like that. I was at a party last night. They're all in Harry Potter cloaks. He thought it'd be a cool thing to wear at church. Don't know why. But you just see this guy's just a cool kid. And then you realise he's laughing and he's smiling and he's fun and he's chatty. And then you just see his backpack's a little bit open. He's got an iPad in there. And you know he's going to be playing it afterwards in coffee time. And you know he's going to have some good games on it. And he's also got a big bag of Skittles. Now that's she, that child comes in. I want to chat to that, that kid. He's the cool kid. And then after him, just, just a minute later, another child comes in and he's shy and he's clinging on to his mum or dad. And he's got nothing for you to play with. He's, got nothing, he's terrified by crowds. Now, which one are you going to give a better welcome to? Is that the way the Lord Jesus Christ welcomes you? Adults, we do exactly the same, don't we? Hard to think of a parallel. Just imagine uh, a few students come, come, come in. And first, there's a new student, very good-looking student, very well-dressed. Uh, comes into church. Um, they're, they're socially very able. Oh, which uni? Are? Yeah, uni of studying medicine. Hmm, interesting. Uh, could be around for quite a long time. Might be a big giver when they leave. Who knows? 
And they're really good at holding conversation, you can tell. And then after that, uh, another student comes in looking very shy. Maybe an international student, maybe barely found their way here. Not written, their English isn't great yet. And you know they'll be gone in 10 months. And you know the reality is, for the rest of the year, uh, we will have to serve them uh, really hard. We won't get a lot from them, we'll have to serve them. Which one do we instinctively want to come back more next week? Now you might be an international student here and hearing that, and you think, hold on a second, what, what's, what's the matter? If you don't think you've had a great welcome from us, then sorry, sorry, because actually welcome should be the same to all. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who welcomes indiscriminately. He's the Lord of glory. And so to not welcome like he does, he does is evil. That's what he calls it. Verse five, it is evil. Because God in general has chosen the vulnerable. That's, that is the tendency you see around uh, in Christianity uh, around the world. It's the vulnerable who see their need quickest. And it's very challenging, I think. Uh, I find it's very challenging anyway, that so-called Bible-believing churches, we are much better in the UK at reaching the rich than the poor. Well, in the last uh, few verses, James is going to show, show us why theologically this is such a big problem. He's already given us a hint. You know, God has often chosen the poor, but he goes on why it's such a big problem for us. Uh, verse 8, he says, You know the second greatest commandment, love your neighbour as you love yourself. So it's, it's a verse from Leviticus, and you, you read the chapter it's in, Levit in Leviticus, and that chapter is all about loving the needy and loving the vulnerable and doing what is right to them. And James is saying, if you don't love the poor and the needy, you are a lawbreaker. You're in the same category as an adulterer or a murderer. And why is that? Because you're rebelling against the word of God. And you're rebelling against the same lawgiver. Behind the law of God is a lawgiver. To put it a slightly different way, obedience to God's law, it's not a buffet. It's not pick and choose, pick and mix. To break God's law in one place is to break the whole thing. People even talk about it like a mirror. If you shatter a mirror in one place, the whole thing shatters. Behind the law, there is one lawgiver. And it's a tragic thing because God's law, we've heard it again, and James will raise it again, the law, verse 12, is a law of liberty. Yes, it's a law, we have to do it, but it's a law of liberty. It's a good law. It's the law that we made for. It's the law where the blessed life is. It's not to say it's not always, it's, 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 it's always easy to do, but it is uh, the blessed life. It's the life of freedom. Now, anyways, this passage is pretty heavy hitting, isn't it? And James has in his targets a church that looks at the word, but doesn't put it into practice. He has a church that has its targets. So he's, he's, he has its targets on a church that favours uh, those who are together and sorted over those who are vulnerable. And I find it a bit close to the bone. It certainly would have been to those who it was originally written to. Why? Well, because James tells them, he says, you have dishonoured the poor man in verse six. They would have been feeling this keenly as well. They were dishonouring the poor man, but James doesn't give up on them. It's amazing how he writes them. He writes them with so much grace uh, and so much encouragement. 
Do you notice how again and again and again he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters? Three times he calls that. And then in 1 verse 19, 2 verse 5, he calls them beloved brothers. He's full of compassion for them. And James's gentleness shows God's gentleness to us as well. He's so gentle with people who don't deserve gentleness. But that is what his character is like. See, James longs this church to be whole and God longs for us to be whole. He longs for us to know freedom and wholeness. And so James ends in 2.12 to 2 verse 13. He ends this section with warning and encouragement. Let's start with a warning. He ends with, um, he ends with judgment, doesn't he? Uh, that's what we see in verse 12. For ju- uh, verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. There will be judgment. And he goes on, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ taught exactly the same thing, didn't he? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He teaches that about how we pray. He teaches that what the final judgment will be like. But here's the encouragement also. It's the last verse of our reading. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does that mean? Well, it's not that our mercy in itself will merit God's mercy. That's completely misread uh, what's going on here. That would, then it wouldn't be mercy, would it? It would be just deserts. Rather, I think what James is saying is a merciful disposition is a sign or is evidence of a humble heart. And maybe you're convicted uh, by your own favoritism. How unlike God, you do give a better welcome. Uh, to those who can benefit you well be humbled it is good to be humbled but let that humility lead you to the lord jesus christ the lord of glory whose mercy extends to the partial his mercy extends to bias his mercy extends to snobs because we all need mercy don't we this is actually a description of all of us it's not your mercy that will save you It's the Lord Jesus Christ's mercy that will save you. Uh, The Lord of glory. Uh, We will receive mercy if we're merciful, not as the cause of God's mercy, but it will be evidence that we're those who have needed to be humbled ourselves because we realise we're in as much need as anyone else. So someone comes to Leeds and they want to know what's good about Christchurch. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said... Oh yeah, Christchurch, that is a really great church. It really is a great church. You know why? Well, they're no mere hearers of the word. The Bible teaching is great, sure, but it's not about the Bible teaching. It's about the fact that the congregation, week after week after week, puts the word of God into practice. Very often they're humbled by where they've fallen short of the word. But you can see that in the congregation what a church. They're no mere hearers of the word. They're doers of the word also. And you can tell that by the way that they welcome and are merciful to you and love the needy. Well, if that's not who we are, we need to return to the Lord for mercy. And wonderfully, he'll give it. And having received and trusted in God's mercy, we will abound to it. Uh, We are bound in it to others ourselves if we cherish mercy 
as something that we first received. So brothers and sisters, let's not be uh, merely hearers of the word, but doers all say, and let us show that mercy to others that we've received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask for his help. Oh, Father, we, we feel this so keenly. You know how quick we are to hear your words on a Sunday and forget about it on Sunday afternoon, forget about it on Monday. You know how quick we are to sit on judgment uh, on your words uh, without responding to it in humility. Lord, you know how quick we are to uh, raise questions about your word before we obey, rather seeking to obey quickly and later uh, getting fuller understanding. Our Father, have mercy on us, we pray. And we pray in this particular area of being merciful to the poor, merciful to the needy. Father, please forgive us when we've been more concerned with those who can offer us things than with those who need things from us. Father, please would remember the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us everything, who shed his own blood for us. Please would we treasure that, would we treasure the mercy we've received and would mercy be something that we delight in and would that mercy overflow to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.